Well, there was an elderly, elderly pastor uh, who was searching in his closet. And, and he found, he came across one Sunday morning, uh, this box. And, and in the box, there were three eggs and then 100 $1 bills. Jacob, can you turn me down just slightly? He called his wife and, and, and he said, Honey, what in the world is this box all about? Why do you have it in here? And, and she kind of put her head down and was somewhat embarrassed by the situation. He said, No, no. You, you, could, you could tell me, honey. And she said, Well, every time you delivered a, a poor sermon, I'd place an egg in the box. And the pastor, who had been preaching for 30-plus years, he felt pretty good. Three poor sermons during that time. He goes, wow. He goes, what, what's the $100 for? She replied, well, each time I got a dozen eggs, I sold them to the neighbor for a dollar. Well... I sure hope Sherry isn't saving eggs for my bad sermons. This week, we, we continue our sermon series on Joseph. And, and what, a, uh, what a sermon series this has been, uh, at least for me, to look at, at the most interesting man alive in his time. What, what, a, what an amazing story. He had a very difficult upbringing, losing his mom early on, when she gave birth to Benjamin. And then he was considered, he was pronounced the favorite child of everybody. Uh, of Everyone knew that dad, he was daddy's boy. And then we had the situation where he was not only the favorite, but he was also put in charge of his older brothers in the family business. A tough spot to be in. And last week we discussed how Joseph, he took a long journey, maybe a hundred miles, to go look out for his brothers and to try to figure out what they were up to and were they doing their work. And his brothers, his brothers, they ganged up on him. At the ripe old age of 17, Brandon, I think you're 17, right? They ripped off of his clothes they threw him in a pit, and they considered murdering him. And then they saw some salesmen. They saw these traveling salesmen coming down, heading towards Egypt, and they decided, you know, let's make some money off the deal. And Judas sold them. He talked the brothers into it, and they sold them for 20 pieces of silver. The brothers felt like they rid themselves of the possibility of ever bowing down to this dreamer, as they called them. And then they brought home a torn and bloody robe to their dad and said, Is this your son's? Is this your son's? And the dad, if you remember, was torn apart. But Jacob blamed himself. Because he sent out his own son out there into going who knows where, dealing with who knows what, and he blamed himself. But little did any of them know that Jace, 
that Joseph, good old Joey, was brought into Egypt safely by the hand of God. What an interesting story that we've witnessed. And you know, it's only going to get more interesting and more amazing of how God is working in the life of Joseph. So let's dig in. Like uh, last time, we're, we're going to go through the story, through the scripture, and that's how we're going to work through our outline. And, and last week, we covered Genesis 37. This week, we jump ahead. If you see, let's go to the next one, Jacob. You see, we're in Genesis 39. We skipped over an entire chapter, Genesis 38. So as a good expository teacher, we can't skip a whole chapter. I, let me go, go a quick summary, a quick recap of Genesis 38. So Judah got married. It literally, it just changes direction, just tells us a whole other story about Judah. Judah got married. Judah had three boys. His oldest boy, boy number one, he got married off to a, to a lady named Tamar. Well, he, he died. Boy number one died. So according to the law, Judah appointed boy number two as the new husband of Tamar. And through some interesting circumstances that we won't go into, Tamar would not get pregnant from boy number two. Boy number two died. So now Judah is freaking out, and he says, you know what? Go back with your dad, Tamar, and you will get boy number three as your husband soon. I just want him to grow up a little bit longer. Well, Tamar finds out that Judah is a liar. And Judah deceived her, and, and, and she's not going to get boy number three. And so she decides to take things in her own hand, and she dresses up like she is a prostitute. And she goes up to Judah, where he is visiting, and Judah, he is looking to hire a prostitute. And so Judah gets with Tamar, and now, after everything is completed in that transaction, he needs to pay her. He has no idea that he's with his daughter-in-law, but his daughter-in-law did know that she was with her father-in-law. So in order to pay her, he's going to pay her a young goat. Here comes the goat again. Keeps coming in our story. And so he gives her three items that will identify, kind of like your social security card, your driver's license. He gives her all the identification that, hey, hold this, and then I will bring you the goat. Remember, he doesn't know that it's Tamar. And so three months pass by, and all of a sudden he finds out, oh my goodness, Tamar is pregnant. And she has committed uh, an immorality situation because she is not married, and he is furious. And he orders her to be burned alive. And then, chapter 38, verses 25 and 26, here's what it says. And she was brought out, Tamar, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. 
And she said, please identify those whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. You, you just can't imagine the scene of what Judah's thinking. Verse 26, then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shalah, and he did not know her again. Unbelievable. How sin just hits somebody in the face. Square in the face. Well, Tamar has two children. She has twins. One of those twins is Perez. Perez, his lineage is King David, and King Solomon, and their king and our king, Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing that God can use men and women who appear to not have their lives all together. And I'm personally thankful for that. I am thankful that, uh, that God can use people like that. Then we come to Genesis 39. Genesis 39, we're going to go with the first verse of Genesis 39. Verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. This one little verse, this one tiny verse will take us through the whole first point and into the second point. Just this one verse. A lot can be taken when you really study scripture verse by verse. We see that Joseph is going through many trials during this time. And all of us, we go through trials in our life. Uh, depending on our situation, depending on our age, depending on our location, uh, depending on uh, where we are and who we are, our trials will vary. Some of us experience loss of a loved one, maybe a loss of a job, maybe a grade that we're flunking. Some of us are having difficulties within our marriage, financial issues, lots of different trials. But think of Joseph. Imagine Joseph, who was sold to the Ishmaelites and after he'd already traveled nearly 100 miles to get to his brother, he had to be exhausted already at that point. That was a long journey. Now he's sold, and you know he's not riding the back of a camel. Some people say that, that these travelers, they would have 3,000 people with them. With, with only a few people in the front riding the camels. Most people walking pulling and carrying. Joseph, his first 100 miles was absolutely free, but his next 200 miles, 200 miles he had to travel to get to Egypt. He wasn't free. He was bound and, 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 and shackled in some fashion in order to not let him get away. I mean, I just can't imagine that feeling. But we know or we can assume, based on what we see in Joseph's life, that he was comforted by God throughout this entire time. But he had to be heartbroken. He absolutely had to be heartbroken. You know, God, yeah, comforted him. 
but imagine the betrayal. I see Melody here today, and great to see Melody. But think of Melody and her sisters ganged up on, on their brother. 17-year-old, happens all the time, Brandon. I mean, just imagine that if they ganged up on him, tore his clothes apart, threw him in a pit. He's saying, no, they can't. <laughs> I think they could. We'll, we'll test it later on. Just imagine that. As he's been sold into slavery, what he's thinking about those 200 miles. How he's been betrayed by his siblings. I mean, I, I literally can't imagine. I've heard so many stories of, of ridiculous amounts. There's one in Indiana where the mom and the siblings just picked on this girl over and over and over, and eventually they killed her. They were picking on her so much. The betrayal of your family. How many times do we hear about people changing wills? As mom and dad are dying, and one sibling changes the will, and, and all of a sudden all the money goes to one person. Well, just the backstabbing that can happen. Not just with siblings. It can happen with, with anyone. Maybe you're heartbroken right now about something. Heartbroken about the things that are going on in your life. But I want to remind you, no matter your situation, if you trust in Jesus Christ, God will comfort you. He promises you that. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. It's awesome. Very famously, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make, your, make straight your paths. And how about Jesus, what he said to his disciples? He says to us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. These are the things that Joseph had to be comforted by. Yeah, he probably didn't have the scriptures memorized since they weren't written down at that point. But he knew of the stories that were told, passed down from generation to generation of how great Yahweh was. And as Joseph entered Egypt, the traitor sold him. First verse reads, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So I don't know how this all played out. I, I don't know if there was a whole slave uh, area where each person was brought up one at a time, maybe nearly uh, naked, so they could see and, and visually see what their physique was like, to see if they were strong or scrawny. I, I don't know what that looked like. Maybe there was a whole group of them, maybe one at a time, and maybe it was an auction where, where, where there were bidders. 
Maybe it was an individual thing. Maybe, maybe they took them over to Potiphar. Hey, I've got a real good one here. I'll sell them, sell them for this. But you've got to think that at this moment, Joseph was humiliated. He was absolutely humiliated in this process because <coughs> excuse me, he was not only maybe exposed, but he was a piece of meat. He was property. And we think about that again with all the slave trade going on in our world today. The humiliation that people feel as, as they're being passed from person to person. You know, if Joseph was a confident man, I think some people have argued that Joseph was just very confident, very uh, arrogant at times, proud that he was the, the chosen one from his daddy, proud of the dreams. I don't see that, but that's how some people argue. If he was, he's not now. He's been humbled. He has been humbled by this process. And we need to ask ourselves, are we humble? Are we humble? God wants you to be humbled. Hopefully you won't go through the process of being sold in slavery, but God does desire that you are a humble person, a humble follower. And it took, it, it took me way too many years to realize that I really didn't know anything, to realize that, that I need to humble myself. Luke 14, 11 says, exalt yourself and you'll be humbled. Humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, this surely was an opportunity for, for Joseph to feel humility. And you know what? He had to consider and count others more significant than himself. He was forced to if he wasn't going to do it anyway. In that same verse, we see that Joseph was taken to the home of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was like the head of the secret service. And so they had strict rules going on within his home, and they had strict uh, policies that they had to fo uh, follow through, and they're bringing in a slave. There is no question that as Joseph was brought into this dwelling, that he was in handcuffs. He, he was tied up. He, he was bound so he couldn't just do whatever he wanted to do. Because he could be looking during this whole time. Someone maybe said it at small group. That, that I'm guessing that Joseph was just kind of looking out. Thinking about while he was being sold. How do I get away from here? What's my best strategy? Where am I going to go if I do get out of here? And so they had to assume that coming in to Potiphar's house. That he was going to try to escape. That he was going to try to hurt somebody or threaten somebody, or hold somebody hostage in order to get himself out. And so he was heartbroken from his family. He was humbled by the moments of embarrassment. And, and he understood he had no control of the situation. 
He, he was locked up. He was put in a corner, and he couldn't get out. This trial had truly handcuffed him. I imagine he was scared as he was led through Potiphar's house, just being shown the different things. How many here have been to a foreign country? Quite a few, quite a few. If you don't know the language of that foreign country, it's sometimes very difficult. Sherry and I were, were left at an orphanage, our first trip there, I believe it was, I think for three or four hours. The director who was with us said, I'll be back. Oh, boy. We were two hours away from Addis Ababa. And, and, and you know what? We had no idea what was happening. Jacob was there. And Jacob spoke very broken language at that moment because he hadn't been to America yet. He was our translator. We had no idea what to expect. And as we're, as we're going through the different areas, we don't know what, where they're taking us. Well, that's exactly what I think of Joseph. He's being drugged and pulled <clears throat> and probably beat as he's walking through Potiphar's house, and he doesn't know the language at all. He has no idea what they're saying. He has no idea what they're uh, conspiring at this moment. And he's scared. And you know what? You and I, we sometimes feel like we're locked up. That, that, that there's nothing we can do. We don't understand what's going on. We don't understand the words that are being said and spoken. We don't understand why the situation's happening to us. And you know what? We don't know what's ahead of us either. Joseph didn't have, he had no idea what was ahead of him. He didn't know if he was going to be taken somewhere and he was going to be beat and he was going to have to do some manual labor thing. He didn't know what was going to happen with him. So all those things in his head had to be going crazy. Not only was he truly handcuffed, truly locked in, but mentally Emotionally, he was locked. He didn't know what to do. And for some of us, <coughs> this is where we cave. This is where the walls start coming down on us. And this is where we try to retreat. We try to shout. We try to claw our way out. And this, this is the exact time that you need to lean into Jesus. This is the exact moment of why Jesus is the greatest. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you've been depressed before. It's a real thing. It's a, it's a difficult thing. But Jesus is the answer to it. Continue to rely on Jesus. You may not get out of being in handcuffs immediately, but look forward to the time ahead. There's always something ahead. God always is going to complete the story at some point. So we'll keep moving on. Genesis 39, 
verses 2 through 6. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that, that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So not only do we see that God is with us during our trials, but God is also with us during our triumphs along the way. He's right alongside us during our triumphs. And in these verses, we see that somehow, in this trip to Egypt, and now being taken to the home of Potiphar, Joseph has been protected from harm. It, Joseph had to think that he was going to die, that this was his moment of death. He was probably beat, he was probably whipped, he was probably kicked at times, but he's survived. He, he's, he's come through this time, and, and Scripture says the Lord was with him. The Lord promises to be with whomever he chooses. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has chosen you. And if you're like me, you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Pastor Phil, are you saying that if I love God, he will protect me from harm? I will not be harmed. That's not what I'm saying. In this particular story, Joseph was protected from, from death. We, we see that. But God has used thousands and thousands, if not millions and millions, of times of hurt and pain for his glory. I think of a friend of mine. A friend of mine was an excellent basketball player, and he went off to college. He was very confident in his play. And he had a very successful freshman year, and, and as he's entering his sophomore year, ready to, uh, to excel in college and excel in, in basketball, he broke his leg. And he was mad. Man, he was furious about this, and he was mad at God about it. Well, he made a good comeback. His junior year, he, he again competed hard and, and played great, and, and he was feeling proud of himself. He had done a lot. He had worked his way back into the starting lineup, and he was successful. Going into his senior year, he broke his leg again. It was at that moment that God finally grabbed him. 25-plus years later, he looks at that moment in time, and he says, that's when I decided to give my life to full-time ministry. That's when I was humbled. You know, sometimes God can tap somebody. You have kids like this. If you have multiple kids, you have one kid that you could just give them the look, and all of a sudden they're going to change. You have another kid where you have to take something away. 
You have another kid that you have to discipline with that wooden spoon over and over and over. And you know, God is that same way. He tries to teach us in a variety of ways. And each of us learn and get humbled in different ways. My friend, his way was taking away the game that he loved so much. He needed to get his attention. He needed to spend time in God's word and in prayer. God can use our tribulations and he can use our triumphs. But we need to continue to put our trust in God alone. Additionally, we see that these verses that God was with Joseph when he was promoted to a higher position. And it's really unbelievable to think of how God was working in the life of Joseph and how he was using him. I, I don't know how this happened, and I don't know how long it took for him to be, be put in charge, but imagine Joseph most likely had no idea what the language was. And yet somehow he had commanded uh, the following, commanded leadership, of all the people around him. Potiphar was watching and he said, this is unbelievable. Everything he does, everything he does is, is just amazing. His God is blessing him. He's got the Midas touch. What he says and what he does, man, it just works. And you know somebody like that. In your life, you're like, wow, it's just amazing. It always seems to work out for that person. You know, Joseph, when I look at Joseph's life, I see how he was entrusted in the family business by his dad. I have to assume that he had the gift of administration. We see that as one of the spiritual gifts offered uh, by the Holy Spirit is administration. And I'm just assuming, based on everything that I've read, everything that I've seen, that he had that gift. And God was using it. And God was blessing him. But not only God was blessing him, he was also blessing Potiphar. That's why it says Potiphar, all he had to worry about was what? What he was going to eat. That's a pretty good situation. If every single day all you're doing is waking up and thinking, what's going to be for supper tonight? That's a, not a real difficult life. But he was being blessed because of the servant of God. And God is the one who gets the credit. God gets credit for everything, and he gets credit for our successes. We can't forget that. Sometimes we think that we've got tremendous talent, and, and, and that it's because, oh, I'm so good at this. I, I'm just an excellent speaker. I, I'm, I'm just excellent at playing the piano. Man, I can, I can teach anyone. I can teach kids. I can... I, I can uh, play soccer the best of anyone. We forget that God gets all the credit for our talents. We sometimes think that he is absent during those training periods and during that maturation. That he's absent from the blessings that, that we get. And that's not true. God gets all the credit you know, I'm not looking, I'm not speaking about a, uh, as you win the, the special MTV award and you come up, I, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and, 
and then, and then you go on and on about other things. I mean, it doesn't seem like that's too legitimate. It could be. I don't know their lives, but all I know is that deep in your heart, are you humble enough to understand that God gets the glory? I think of farmers. You know, a farmer, they work hard. They don't work just, just uh, three months of the year. It's an ongoing process where, where they're constantly thinking about their crops, thinking about how to improve their machinery, thinking about when they should go out, how much lime to put on the field, what's the ground doing, what are the bugs doing, how's the weather, is it too hot, too cold, is it too wet? In the end, God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. When Joseph worked his way to the top of the group in Potiphar's house, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, just based on what we read, that he kept his head down the entire time, and he kept his head down and humbled. He wasn't probably going around and bossing people around and being so confident that he was just, felt like he was in complete control. He was a slave. And I'm guessing he wasn't able or allowed to forget that. But I'm guessing he was also thanking God. God had spared him, and he had brought him into some great successes. Genesis 39, 6b, through, through later, it shifts the story completely in a different direction. Absolutely changes the direction. I, I think that Joseph had a tough time in traveling to Egypt and, and a tough time in the sale and, and the humiliation that that brought. But this moment was going to be his toughest up to this point. Let's read. 6b. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Scripture doesn't say that too often, by the way, where someone is beautiful or handsome. and only says it a few times. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. And he has put, me, put everything that he has in my charge. Verse 9. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. This is definitely a time where Joseph was being seduced, heavily seduced. And day after day, I could just imagine it, she is begging him to be with her, I'm guessing more and more uh, attire is being taken off of her, which is causing more difficulties in the whole process. I'm guessing she wasn't ugly in the world's standpoint, being she was the wife of Potiphar. She was seducing him. Doesn't it remind you of Adam and Eve? 
Remember Adam and Eve? They, they could have anything they wanted except for that. Except for that tree over there. That, that, that's not the one you can have. Joseph could have anything he wanted. He was in charge of anything he, he, he was around except for that over there. Adam and Eve, they, they fell. That's the contrast here. He, remember Jesus, he, he was seduced by Satan through those temptations of, hey, you could have all this. Throw yourself off of here. Jesus always came back with scripture. Joseph understood the seriousness of sin. I don't think we always do. I don't think we understand the seriousness of sin. I, I, I think because it's been desensitized so much in, in our culture and in our world. I think of sex again. I, I think sex has been so, we have been so desensitized by sex. We just assume when somebody's going out, a boyfriend and girlfriend, they're going to have sex because that's what TV does, that's what movies do, that's what social media teaches us. We've been desensitized to all kinds of sins within our life. We don't understand and respect the seriousness of sin. Me included. You, you, you start thinking, oh my goodness, what in the world are we doing? Lying. Lying becomes so natural to so many people. Stealing. It is commonplace for people to steal, especially from their employer. Ah, I'll just take home a ream of paper. No big deal. They've got a ton of it anyway. I know a guy who, was, who worked at ComEd, and, and he would stock up on batteries. He literally had a stockpile of batteries. It wasn't Bill, by the way. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> I got a good smile out of Bill back there, too. But, you know, we have forgotten the seriousness of sin. Yelling at other people, ripping into them, not caring about living peaceable among all men. Friends, that's a sin. But you know what? Hey, that's, that's my personality. That's what I do. Just like Potiphar's wife was seducing Joseph, Satan seduces us. He brings something back in our life over and over and over until we break. You know a kid like that who will keep doing something to you over and over and over until you're just like, fine, go, do it, whatever. That's what we do with sin. Satan keeps bringing it back up in our face over and over and over. And we finally give in. We've got to realize throughout this process that we see in Joseph's life that there is sacredness within the marriage. Are you trying to guess that, Samantha? Samantha? 
This is good for an engaged couple. Marriage is sacred, friends. Joseph realized that, that this marriage was sacred. And, and I think when we look at our society, we have a 50% divorce rate. Some say a little lower, some say a little higher. Doesn't matter if you're Christian or non-Christian. That we have a serious issue about the sacredness of marriage. We bring all kinds of sins into the marriage intentionally, which creates chaos. Here's an interesting side note. Too many of us spend too much energy worrying about our kids. We worry about our kids. We want to make sure that they're, uh, they're taken care of. We want to make sure they have all the things that, that they want. We want to make sure that they're going to the right things, that, that we're always there to help them, to pick them up, to protect them. And I'm going to say, yes, some of that is good, but I'll tell you what. Focus on your spouse. We are called in Scripture to focus on our spouse right below our focus on Christ. Love your spouse like crazy. Go out with them. Go on a date with them. Spend time. Leave the kids with family or with loved ones and say, see ya, and be happy about it. Plan a weekend away. Really take it on to take your marriage as a serious thing that you want it to grow. It doesn't matter if you're newlywed soon or if you've been married for 40, 50 years. Neither of those matter. Take it serious. And it could change right now, and it takes two. The husband and the wife to make the decision that we are gonna have a marriage that is not rocky, that is not about arguing, that is not about our kids. Because guess what? You can't control your kids. This isn't in my notes. These are all freebies. You, you can't control your kids. I cannot control what Maddie's going to do. I can guide her. I can coach her. It, it's just like a, 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 a soccer coach. A soccer coach could say, go out there and score. I had a kid who was a goalie at my soccer team in junior high many, many years ago. And I called him over. I said, Jeff. I need three goals from you, and I need them now. He was the goalie, but he was a beast. He scored three goals quickly. That doesn't happen normally. So when you're a coach, you say, hey, kick it over to the left side. Kick it over, cross it all the way to the other side. And half the time, they can't do it. Maybe they don't know how. Maybe they don't have the skill. But you know what? I can't control the kids out there on the soccer field, and I can't control my own kids in my home, but I can guide them. I can coach them, I can teach them, I can sit with them and, and help them. But in the end, it's them, right? It's them who are making the decision. But me, I made the decision to coach them and love them, but I've got to release them. And I've got to spend time with my spouse because I've got to understand that that marriage is the most sacred thing. And you know what? My kids, I want Jacob and Reggie 
I want them to see how a man treats a woman. I want them to look at me and say, wow, that's what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to get flowers and you're supposed to be kind to her? You're supposed to love her? And I want my girls to watch Sherry and say, oh, man, you really respect Phil and, and, and love him and care about him and meet his needs. And I want them to see the other way, too. I want Jacob to be looking at Sherry and saying, that's what I want in a wife. And that's why the sacredness of marriage is so important, because it's the example of what's coming up. Let's go to our final bit. Genesis 39, starting with verse 11. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by the garment, saying, lie with me. She did it again. This time, no one else is there. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. Verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and that he had fled out of the house, she called him, called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as I heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. She told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words and his wife, that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. What words from scripture here? We, we see first and, and foremost, uh, uh, the biggest thing is that there is a sure way out of sin. There is a way out of sin. What is it? To flee. To flee. Flee like you've never done before. To, to get out of there. Joseph realized that the penalty for him sleeping with Potiphar's wife would have been death. And he knew that if he had given into that, eventually he'd be caught. And he'd be put to death. He probably even calculated, knowing Joseph, the risk of not lying with her as well. Because sometimes the wife can be pretty convincing to a husband. But his other option, he chose. He chose to flee, even if it cost him eventually his life. And then we've got another piece of clothing involved in the story. Another garment that is ripped off of him. I don't know if it was his pants or his shirt or... Or, or what it was, or uh, something wrapped around him. But she had it in her hand, and that was proof. That's all that was needed. 
And we all find ourselves in predicaments at times. No matter how young we are or how old we are, we find ourselves in a place we are not exempt from temptation. We are not exempt. Bill and I talk about this. Bill's 72. I'm 41. Both of us have been tempted by different things at different times throughout our life. We're not above any of those. Sometimes you just give in. Sometimes you, 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 you say enough is enough and you're just going to give in to that temptation, whatever it might be. God wants us to follow the example of Joseph. He really does. He wants us to flee, to, to, to put up roadblocks, to figure out what are those roadblocks I need to do to put up in order for me to stop whatever this temptation is so I can go a different direction. Sometimes our, our temptation will cause us to lose friends if we flee from it. Sometimes if we flee from the temptation, it will cost us a job. Whatever it is, we need to flee. I think of counting our money here at church. We're so thankful that, that you guys give to Village Bible Church. You give to the Lord in the boxes in the back. But when you drop a check in or cash or change or whatever it is, there is not an automatic counter in that slot. That money has to be accounted for. And many times we'll have people uh, who put... Uh, an envelope full of cash. And so we have cash that needs to be counted as well. Well, so Bill, who's not taking batteries from ComEd, so Bill goes in the back room to count the money, but he never does it alone. He always grabs somebody with him. Sometimes it changes. They're in a room that has windows and they count the money together. One person counts it, the other person counts it, one person records it, another person deposits it. There, there, there's accountability built in to prevent the temptation. Now we do not believe that Bill or any of the others who help him are stealing or are going to steal the money. But all I know is that greater men than Bill have stolen money. Just like greater men than I have slept with other women, have committed adultery, have, have done all kinds of sins. And that's why we have to flee from it. We have to protect ourselves. We have to put up roadblocks. We have to look at ways. Joseph was probably anticipating the situation. He knew that it was going to come to a head at some point, And he had anticipated what he was going to do. In this case, he was going to run. He was going to run from it and get away from it. So are you. Are you? Even, even in, in a time of trial where, where you're a slave to whatever the situation is, are you still willing to flee from the sin that is, is trying to entangle you? Are you willing to, to hold God at a higher place than where you are emotionally. 
If you're walking in faith toward Jesus Christ, God wants you to know that he is absolutely with you. You may not feel it. You may not realize it. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And he wants to teach you. He wants to teach you through the wonderful, triumphant experiences. He wants to teach you through the trials, through the times where you think you are a loser, where you're a nobody, where everybody else is looking at you and saying, look at that nutcase. God wants to teach you in all of those moments. When you win the championship, when you get that extra money from the random inheritance that you didn't know anything about, or when you get the promotion at work. God wants you to learn from those moments. And in the end, in the end, he wants all the glory. Amen? Lord, Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful to worship and serve you. We're thankful to have the honor to bow down to you and and to be your servant. Throughout scripture, God, you have called your disciples to be bond servants, to be willing servants of yours, God. And I just pray that we are willing servants, that we're willing to uh, be bound if need be, that we're willing to uh, honor you, that we're willing to hold our marriage sacred and to hold uh, just the whole marriage, uh, focus of marriage as a sacred thing, uh, that we're willing to look at our brothers who have sinned against us and to forgive them. Lord, we're begging you to teach us how to flee from sin, how to put up roadblocks to prevent more temptations. Because we get weak, God, and we are weak you are strong. God, would you strengthen us? Would you teach us? Uh, would you help us to understand that you are the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that you are everything, that you're sovereign, and that you have, uh, have chosen us to walk with you and to talk with you. Thank you for your sacrifice and your son, Jesus. Thank you for his resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for our final song.